0: You're listening to Lessons from the Boardroom, a business podcast with Kevin Minton, CEO of Chief Executive Boards.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Minton, and welcome to our podcast. I'm excited about our podcast today, where we will be hosting a conversation with our guest, Ryan Yeoman. Ryan is the president of ADW, which is an OEM Automotive distribution company headquartered in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, they also warehouse and sell OEM parts and accessories from General Motors and parts from Ford Motor Company. Please join me in welcoming today's guest, Ryan Yeoman. Welcome to the podcast, Ryan.
2: Good morning, Kevin. Thank you for having me.
1: It's a pleasure, Ryan. Let's uh, let's kind of break it down a little bit and uh, just. I would like to ask you, if you would, just provide the listeners a little background and a little color about yourself so that they can get to know you a little better.
2: Sure. So thinking about that, some probably going all the way back to college in terms of how and why I went down a business path, Uh, I'd originally thought I was going to go to school to be a a psychiatrist. Uh, enjoyed kind of helping and talking with others. And I remember a conversation I had with my dad saying, Uh, his advice, which turned out to be great advice was, well, you need to do something in undergraduate anyways. Go get a business degree because someday you'll want to run your own practice. And that steered me and took me down a business path for undergraduate and ended up graduating there and, um, through various different jobs and paths, I ended up back at ADW recently. Uh, ADW's automotive distributors warehouse and it was a, it's a business that my father purchased back in 1985. So I grew up with it, started with cutting the grass and, and kind of moved my way around to all the different positions there until ultimately uh, there was an opportunity for me to get back involved once he left the business and found myself in the role of, of president and CEO now for the company. And I've been in this role for a little over two years. I've been back with the business.
1: Well, fantastic, uh, Ryan. Tell us a little bit about the business. What What do you guys do? And uh, provide a little color on uh, on ADW for us.
2: Sure. Traditionally, uh, we started as just a local. It was just a local parts store, uh, similar to a Napa back then, uh, that my dad bought from an independent gentleman. And over the years, formed a relationship and started delivering parts to GM and Ford dealerships. And that's really what allowed ADW to grow, uh, forming the relationship with AC Delco and Motorcraft and being a stock order expediter to the dealerships around Ohio and then ultimately Western Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Kentucky, and Indiana. And so it grew with locations and size. And as GM and Ford needed us to handle more business. Uh, the business grew. And then over the last probably 10 to 15 years, they've asked us to change direction and really look at the small independent service centers. So the fix-it shops, mechanics, things of that nature that was harder for them to service uh, from their PDCs. And we've really struggled with that. Uh, in fact, we've, we've pretty much pushed back on that and said that's not our core business. We continue to want to service the dealerships. And that's where you know, we we continue to focus today. And the accessories piece, um, we we now are a certified GM accessories distributor. Have been for just under 20 years. And that's really grown over the years and become the prominent piece of our business. So that makes up about uh, 60 to 65% of our business now, doing the accessories to GM stores. So our our tie and our business is really tied to. GM and Ford dealerships.
1: And so it sounds like the business has grown pretty substantially uh, since your father purchased it in 1985. And um, I'm sure you've seen some changes along the way uh, as, you know, as your father owned it and then transitioned over to you and you, you got involved in and, and took over the business. Um Tell us a little bit about that, Ryan. What's what what has that looked like over the years?
2: The growth strategy for many years was growth through acquisition. So, as there were small, you know, as there's been a lot of consolidation in a lot of industries. Uh, so, too, did consolidation happen with the parts the part stores and part industries. As you've seen, the large players like Napa and O'Reillys you know, grow in prominence. You've seen the small independent stores. You know, acquired at some point. So that was really the path over years in terms of what led to the growth for ADW. Probably the biggest changes have been uh, the use of computer, computer technologies and ordering systems. Uh, ADW was one of the first to put in an electronic card catalog and parts system, later put in a warehouse management system in all of our facilities. And those were, you know, su- surprisingly for a lot of folks, anybody that looks at an Amazon location would say that's, that's the norm and that's state of the art. But at least in the automotive industry, uh, there's, there are still people using paper card catalogs and managing their, their systems and inventory just on a alphabetic or numeric system. So the fact that we introduced ways to tie into dealership systems electronically, utilizing and leveraging IT capabilities was one of the the big things that also helped and has changed ADW over the years.
1: Oh, wow. And so you mentioned that you have been involved back in ADW now for about two years, leading at the helm. What's been the biggest challenge that you faced uh, in running the company so far?
2: Well, because I'm relatively new, I I think I would say I, I would change the wording slightly to be the biggest challenge I'm facing, um, because it's, I think it's a, it's a big one that we're undertaking, and we're certainly not through it at all. And it's it's been in changing the culture and transitioning the business. Uh, I would mark probably the prior 10 years from most people's accounts, even from my father's accounts, the, the 10 years prior to me joining adw was probably marked with stagnation there was a a strong resistance to change which makes sense anytime there's a multi-generational business family business you're going to get probably the younger generation looking to grow and expand and the the older generation looking to preserve and so i think adw was definitely in a preservation stagnation mode for 10 years prior to 2018. so Coming on board, uh, that's been one of the biggest things I've been trying to tackle is really getting us to think about growth and think about new business. As Ford and GM have struggled a little bit and they've been really investing heavily in electronic vehicles, um, one of the things that they've done is continued to cut margin for us. So they've made it even more and more difficult for us to operate and survive. And they've changed how they want us to go to market and service dealerships. So at a time where for you know, 10 years, we were change adverse and kind of stagnant, everything around us was changing pretty dramatically. Our margins, our customer base, the service model, what we needed to do. And that's really what I'm trying to embark on right now, what the team is working on, is transforming our culture and transitioning the business. So those were the two things that I put on the board uh, in 2018 that, that everyone told me before I came back and joined was really essential for us to do um, and then I'll add in obviously 2020 has been you know kind of the icing on the cake in terms of challenges that we're facing so that those are the kind of the big things that we're going through at the moment
1: it sounds like not only are you having to face the you know cultural challenge and the stagnation and you, you may be a couple of years into that. Normally a cultural change in a, in a company like that does typically take a few years to, uh, to, to get the the flywheel turning. Uh, but that you yep. also, uh, like you said, the icing on the cake with, uh, you know, maybe having to do a little reinvention of maybe the business itself. Is, is that correct?
2: A- absolutely. Yeah. It's been, uh, you know, I've laughed a couple of times. have I've had, Friends and board members say, you know, transforming culture is a, is a pretty big audacious, you know, undertaking that takes five to seven years. The fact that you're trying to do that and also transition business, which is a pretty big undertaking and deal with the current environment, you've got your hands full. So yeah, we've got kind of the, the perfect storm of things we're all trying to do and making some progress. Um, it, probably the analogy that I use with regard to the business and our folks is that it's, similar to an old sailing ship. I've used the Black Pearl from Pirates of the Caribbean as an as example. And the crew was a, was a good crew. The boat is a good boat. Um, but the crew was used to kind of waiting around and taking orders. And the ship was a, a sailing ship that, that largely moved based on the, the tide and the currents. And what we're setting out to do is really kind of develop and coach the crew to be what I'd call more of an intelligent, autonomous crew that is more proactive, growth-minded, uh, willing to experiment, uh, a crew that is embracing and really understands responsible freedom. It's probably one of the biggest changes culturally we're trying to do. Uh, there's a great book called Turn the Ship Around, that I highly recommend That kind of speaks to that. Um, empowering and giving those that, that are part of the team more responsibility, trying to engage them more deeply, really un- unlocking their true potential. Um, and that's that's probably the biggest change culturally that we're going through is is tapping into all of the frontline expertise and input that's that's there that really we hadn't tapped into in the past. Um, so that's that's the culture of peace. And then the ship itself needs to be renovated. Uh, you know, we need new engines, reinforced decking and sides, all those types of things. We need to change. We have several very large warehouses, and probably what we need to change to are smaller, more flexible, adaptable warehouses. We're no longer doing large stock orders. We're doing smaller emergency orders. So how we service our customers, the, the nature of our service model and business has to change as well.
1: So how is that? How's that change coming along, uh, Ryan? It's you know that, like you said, that's kind of a daunting task. Uh, it it sounds to me like you're you're being faced with having to take not only one bite of the apple, uh, but maybe three or four bites of the apple, given the fact that you need a culture change, you need uh, transition um, with with the business, uh, to create that growth mindset and, and nimbleness, and the ability to make some mistakes and things like that. How is that coming along uh, now that you're a couple of years into it, plus having to face this current situation? Um, how, how's the company doing? How are you guys uh, overcoming this and how, how is that coming along?
2: I, I imagine like many folks you deal with, I will answer it two ways. Uh, it is going remarkably well, and I am excited about all that the team's been able to accomplish, and I am incredibly frustrated at how slow we're going. And, and, and really trying to, to balance those two things. So patience, and I think, I think patience is one of those things that you, you learn or earn over time, perhaps. When I was involved with ADW 20 years ago in a different capacity, I was not patient at all. And I think this time around, one of the things I've tried to do is, is really take a breath and try and be patient, recognizing that transforming this large ship turning this large ship is going to take 5 years perhaps it's it's a, it's a year you know several year process as opposed to just months and so i think that's been one of one of the biggest learnings has been um it takes time it, it takes time and a lot of hard work and it's got to be consistent hard work. You mentioned the flywheel earlier. I'm a huge jim Collins fan and and turning that flywheel, just getting it started and getting some momentum going takes a while. It takes a lot of additional energy, but once it's going, you know it's going to maintain itself and and we're just starting to make some some movements and make some progress, which has been great. And I think for me, trying to find that balance of, when i need to be patient and when i need to push on the urgency has been one of the new probably one of the new things i've had to think more about in my role as president and co um so really really trying to learn how to how to focus and find the right level on both sides there uh, and getting us to move has been one of the biggest biggest personal learnings
1: you know the 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 words in uh, an industrial business and nimbleness, uh, typically in the past, those two words did not go together. (laughs) And so you're you're trying to create something here. uh, And not only are you learning what levers to pull uh, on, but when to pull on them and how hard to pull those levers is uh, a bit of an art. As, as well yeah. it's not all science and so i applaud you uh in, in how you're you're going about it. and i'm sure you're learning some things along the way as to what's working and and what's not working uh with, with that uh ryan so anything else you wanted to elaborate on that what, what you took away from from the
2: experience or uh what no, what's- sure i'll, I'll- Add a little bit. I was very fortunate that I had a handful of great mentors and uh, leaders that I've worked for in the past, um, who, who I think really planted in me the need to establish a really strong foundation. And, and I think that's allowed us to start having some momentum. You know, again, if we use that flywheel analogy and you think about trying to push a flywheel while standing on ice, um, you're not going to be able to have much leverage. Your foundation is pretty poor. You're not going to make much progress. And so the time spent digging footholds or reinforcing some sort of foundation for you to push off of, uh, ultimately, though it, though it's much slower in the beginning, it ultimately leads to much more effective, much more efficiency long term. And so you know, we've tried to focus on a couple big things foundationally to make sure we're moving in the right direction um at a high level, you know, making sure we're setting the vision and opening the doors for people has been part of that. Uh, building the right team has been part of that. And then, you know, more recently, really making sure we're setting our priorities and focusing on those and, and holding ourselves accountable to achieving those um, has really allowed us to start seeing momentum on that flywheel.
1: You know, it's interesting, Ryan. That I, I sort of use the analogy: you have to slow down to speed up, and that's a little painful at first to get that foundation. Understand that, hey, you you do have to put that foundation in place, and once you have that in place, then it it, it is easier to get that flywheel going. Uh, and get it going in the proper direction. So it sounds like you're you're headed in the right direction. The flywheel sounds like it is starting to turn and starting to spin for you, and and hopefully you know things are going to continue to gain momentum and 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 pick up uh, based on what you're what you're trying to achieve. So, given uh, that being your uh, biggest challenge that you are facing at the moment, let's take a step back and talk about what's been your biggest success along the way. What, what have you seen that uh, has, has really worked so far?
2: I'll touch on a, a couple of things that I actually just mentioned uh, as part of that foundation. Probably one of the biggest things was uh, this idea of opening kind of opening the doors um, of pushing responsible freedom and pushing more, decision-making and autonomy to, you know, traditionally what would be considered the lowest levels of the organization has has really made a huge difference. Um, we have decided to be much more open with our communication, much more transparent and showing numbers, financials, metrics, much more open with ideas and input instead of asking just two or three managers at the top, so to speak, uh, involving as many people as are willing uh, to get involved at, at the lower levels. Um, that's probably one, been one of the biggest success stories is just seeing the engagement. Um, and, and really, you know, there's this idea of empowering people. And I love a phrase, I'll, I'll paraphrase it from the Turn, uh, Turn the Ship Around book, in which I believe he says, you know, you, you don't empower other people. You just create an environment in which people can empower themselves. And I think that's been a, a huge key to our success. When we're, when we're listening as, as a leader, if I'm willing to truly open my door and truly open my mind and listen to others, the input and the feedback, um, and tap into those, make them feel valued, make them, uh, make sure they understand that and there's no negative consequences or repercussions that they can bring real feedback from our customers and real feedback from all the interactions they have as they're seeing it, and that we'll do something with it um, has been one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest successes. And I would I would point to um, you know it's it's kind of a bittersweet compliment to some degree. I've had more people in two years come up to me and say you know, I, I really appreciate you asking my opinion. No one's ever asked my opinion. No one's ever asked me for input. And I'm, um, you know, incredibly pleased and proud that our, that our team has embraced it, our managers have embraced it, and are asking, encouraging, and truly welcoming input. But at the same time, sort of, you know, sort of sad that, that that's a reality in our business right now. And, and as we're trying to change, that's been one of the biggest successes. Um, We haven't had people leave. We've had people get more engaged. We've had people bring, I like to say, when, when people are bringing discretionary effort, then you know you've really tapped into the minds and hearts of your, of your folks. When, when they come to you excited some morning and say, Hey, I was driving home and I thought about X or this weekend I was watching TV and I saw this and it made me think maybe we could do this. To me, that's a that's a very clear signal that something is going right, that, that we're doing something right, that people are engaged because they're not just kind of on the clock from nine to five, so to speak. They're given kind of discretionary effort and thought and excitement as well. So that's that's I, been one of the biggest successes.
1: I have to imagine that that has really relieved a burden off of your shoulders to start to see... Individuals take ownership in in the organization and come with ideas. And, you know, like you said, that, that term discretionary effort, if you can get individuals thinking like that and, and acting in, in that way, I, I'll just follow up with a question. Have you seen that that's relieved some of the burden off of your shoulders?
2: Absolutely. And, and I certainly know I'm, I am not the smartest person in the room and I'm, I am ill equipped to probably be leading this ship. So it's great that I've surrounded myself with a really good team and tapped into those who know. I'm, I am not an auto parts guy. I'm not an auto or a car guy. Uh, they like to joke that I don't know the difference between a spark plug and a starter, which is, which is relatively true. Um, so absolutely tapping into others. Um, you know, in it, in addition to tapping into others, what I wanted to focus on early on was really building trust, that, that foundation of trust. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge, um, I like reading books. It's, it's where I think I got my MBA was a bunch of books more than anything else and a Patrick Lincioni fan and five dysfunctions of a team, I think is a phenomenal book and was probably the foundation and core, maybe the first business book that I really read and building that trust. So that we're able to have that conflict, the the debate and the discussion that leads to really good answers. So opening the door, tapping into people, making sure managers are secure enough that there's enough trust that we can get in a room and have real debate um, has absolutely lessened this feeling or this need that I may have had of me needing to know everything or have all the right answers. Um, I, I don't need to do that. I know that what I need to do is make sure we've got a room full of really uh, informed people having great discussion and then be able to say at the end of the day, great, based on that, we're going left. And, and that I'm very comfortable with. Um, feeling like I need to know everything and make all the decisions uh, was just not going to work for me. I would have been a fraud trying to do that. What was
1: it that got you started down this path?
2: I, th- I think it was actually my experience with ADW uh, earlier in my career. So I've had two stints at ADW. I was a sales manager for a, a new business group uh, in the early 2000s. And I, I kind of saw how things were going and, and and didn't agree with it and left and went and started a new business with a friend. He was the, the founder and helped uh, bring a company called Captera uh, online, and, and ultimately had a successful acquisition. that uh, We were acquired by Gartner Company, and got to put all these practices and thoughts together, and got to learn from him probably how to do things the right way. So I had this really strong belief that if you did it in a green field, if you did it as a startup, and you you just built it from scratch that it could be very successful. And I got to be part of that and see that play out. So coming back to ADW has been been a little bit of an experiment for me. I had this theory and this idea that this could work. I'd seen it work. I knew it would work in a certain environment. And I've I've really just been committed to this experiment of, will this carry over to an established business, a business that has, 35 years of history and culture and values in place and and can you actually change one instead of start one from scratch so some of that some of the belief in having seen it before and see it work uh, a lot of encouragement and discussion with others you know through CEBI and groups like that where others are saying yeah this is you know stay the course this this is this is the right path to be going down has helped tremendously
1: it probably was encouraging for you to know that even in a in a greenfield startup that you saw it uh, resonate and be successful before. That you probably felt pretty comfortable that hey the the formula for something like this, um, depending upon it, it doesn't matter if it's a startup or if it's an existing operation. The formula for for success having had success with it before in the past, probably gave you the confidence that you needed to move forward down that path as well. And, um, so I'm gonna, I'm just gonna ask you straight out, you know, what is it that you believe that makes, uh, some individuals, some companies successful while other companies struggle?
2: Yeah, I think, um, (laughs) I was probably prepared to answer that question a little differently. I'm going to follow up on something we were just talking about with, with culture and say, being deliberate with the culture, I, I think is probably the foundation, is probably the most important critical piece to success. Um, we hear a lot about culture. We hear a lot about values. It gets a lot of lip service. Some buy into it, some don't, some believe in the importance of it, but it's I think the really important thing to recognize for all of all of our leaders is there is a culture and there are values, whether you accept it or not, whether you wanna talk about it or not, it's there. Um, people are gonna learn, people are gonna grow, norms are gonna form, behaviors and habits are gonna happen. And it's whether or not you are willing to be deliberate with the culture that you have. You, you have a culture, are you being deliberate about it being the culture that you want and the values being the culture or the values that you want? So I think being very deliberate there uh, is, is a great, it is really the critical first piece. And I'll, I'll use another quote that I like. I used to have as my email signature from Jim Collins, again, paraphrasing, but he, he wrote and stated Greatness is a matter of conscious choice and discipline. And I, and I think that really speaks to why succeed, some succeed and, and don't if you're not consciously choosing your culture your value your people the behaviors and you know, the saying of you, you get what you tolerate um if, if you're not as a leader constantly looking at that and saying is this whatever shape and color and size and vision we have for this if, if this isn't fitting that picture How deliberate are you being about addressing it and fixing it so that it is? And when you have that clarity and you're deliberate with that choice, I think it allows everybody else to figure out, hey, is is this the right place for me? Can I be successful here or do I need to go somewhere else? And I think when you look at you know, maybe you look at football programs and Alabama's great, OSU's great, Clemson's great, all different cultures and not every player is going to fit in that in that particular culture. The more deliberate you are, the clearer you are on what your culture is and what you stand for, the better chance you have of making sure the people that are part of it are living it, are are empowered by it and through it and are able to do their best work. And I think that ultimately leads to success.
1: That is sage advice, Ryan. I, I can't tell you, uh, how much I agree with you on, on that. Like you said, uh, every organization is going to have a culture. It just depends on, is it the one that you want or that you're being intentional about, or is it one that is developed on its own? And, uh, you know, are you the one steering the culture? And it always starts with the leader at the top. So, um,
2: I think our, our people, seeing the energy of our team and, and people right now, um, they're, they're engaged again, that we're tapping into that discretionary effort and they're bringing ideas at a time where I'm, I'm we're throwing a lot at them. You know, we, we need to transform our culture. We need to transition our business. We need to survive 2020. There's tons of change and chaos going on. The fact that our people aren't responding as victims. They're being proactive. They're still bringing ideas. They are, you know, you, you pointed it to earlier, kind of an industrial, distribution, warehousing, manufacturing industries. We're not the most flexible um, and, and adaptable. We, we use a term that is wiggliness. Our operations manager likes to say we need to be wiggly, and and seeing that our people are embracing being wiggly, and seeing that they're embracing. Uh, experimentation, deliberate experimentation where we're trying to break things. We're trying to figure out how to improve things. Um, that has me really confident that whatever comes down the pike and, and we can't control Ford or GM or COVID or the environment to some degree. We can control just, you know, what we have within our four walls, but that our people are open minded, growth minded, Wiggly and willing to experiment and fall down some. That's um, really great for me to see, and, and leaves me feeling incredibly optimistic about whatever we're going to face. We're gonna we're gonna be okay and get through it.
1: Well, Ryan, it sounds like you are setting up just a wonderful culture at your company there, and allowing your people to try new things, take ownership. Uh, I have to imagine that that is just. Uh, permeating throughout your company and with the employees and that they're embracing that. And uh, I'm just excited about what the future holds for you guys. Uh, We're almost about out of time, Ryan, and I want to thank you for coming on the show today. But before before we wrap up, I'd like to ask you, where is the best place where our listeners can go to connect with you and learn more about you and ADW?
2: I certainly appreciate the time and the opportunity, Kevin. Thank you. And I'm happy to help in whatever way I can uh, to anybody out there. Our company website is ADW1, the, the number one, ADW1.com. And my email probably is the easiest way to get a hold of me. It is r yeoman, R Y E O M A N, at ADW1.com. Uh, LinkedIn profile out there also has some connection information. That's probably the the easiest and best way uh, to get a hold of me.
1: Well, Ryan, thank you again for uh, being a guest on our show. Uh, Our guest today has been Ryan Yeoman, president and CEO of ADW, which is located uh, with their headquarters, I believe, in Columbus, Ohio. And it's been a real pleasure having you on the show today, Ryan.
2: Thank you, Kevin.
0: The Lessons from the Boardroom podcast is sponsored by Chief Executive Boards. It's lonely at the top, but that doesn't mean you need to go it alone. We've got your back. At Chief Executive Boards, you have access to business best practices, insights, and resources that can help you eliminate the stress, anxiety, and pitfalls of running a business. Whenever you're ready, here's how we can help. Number one, get a copy of Kevin's book. In Search of Balance, The Business Owner's Guide to Building a Business and a Life at chiefexecutiveboards.com book. Number two, attend a Chief Executive Boards event in your area to find out if CEBI can help you. For a list of upcoming events in your area, go to chiefexecutiveboards.com events or call 864-527-5917.